This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. As there are two Canadian teams atop the NHL standings, Winnipeg and Vancouver, only appropriate that maybe we begin the conversation with those two teams with Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Hello, Wish. It's coming home, baby. It's finally coming home. <laughs> For the first time since okay, 1993, hang on. I wanna... <laughs> it's coming home. That's right. I, you know, I, you wonder about that too. Like, is is Gary Bettman going to go through his entire term as commissioner, and the only time there's a Canadian Stanley Cup was his first year uh, in the NHL? Pause on that for one second, Greg Wyshynski, because I want to play a clip for uh, for you here. Uh, this is from a uh, another Canadian team and a uh, Canadian player you may have heard uh, about. Um, his name is uh, how do I pronounce this? Connor McDavid. There he plays is. for a team called the Edmonton Oilers. That's in uh, Alberta. Uh, this is him on the uh, the offside yesterday with Leon Dreisleitl in the Oilers game against the Blackhawks. Let's hear from Connor. For a team that, that you guys had that Makar goal go against you a mm-hmm. couple of years ago, do you have an opinion on the Dreisleitl one that's at all similar? What did you think of that? I, I do. I mean, obviously, if it takes you 15 minutes to, to determine if it's offside or not, um, it probably doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> you know, um, you know. I talked to the linesman after. Ultimately, it's not a, not their call, I guess. You know, obviously, they said it came down from the league. But, you know, you zoom in, you zoom in, you keep zooming in until you can't zoom in anymore, and I guess it's offside. So, um, you know what? Um, so these these are calls that uh, you know change games and ultimately it didn't go our way. You know that was a big call. Um, it would have really really hurt them. And um, I thought it should have been onside. I mean it's kind of possession too, right? Like the argument of possession. Uh, that whole debate can start again. Um, you know it was such a close one. You'd like to see it. You know I, I think the NHL uses the analogy dead wrong, right? They, you know if it's it's dead wrong or something like that. I don't know what they say. Like, they want it to be clear and obvious, right? Um, that one's certainly not clear and obvious. Fair. Okay, so that's Connor McDavid on that one. And I think most people would be in agreement with McDavid that if it takes that long <laughs> to determine whether it's onside or offside, it doesn't really matter. That falls under it's close enough, just play. There's a couple of things here. One, uh, Greg, there's the call itself. And then there's two, the gra- the game's greatest star calling out the offside review. Your thoughts on both? Well, on the second one, I, I've, I've said for years that there is a... There's a part of the multiverse in which Connor McDavid is the most important labor leader in the history of the NHLPA. Like... I think he's one of the more thoughtful, insightful, and interesting players that we have in this league with regard to uh-huh. the, the way the game should be played, the rules, and, and also labor issues. It's just a matter of whether he wants to, to burden himself with it. Like, I've talked to him before. I talked to him at the NHL Awards a few years ago. We had a really enlightening conversation about union issues. And I think it's all there for him. And, and I don't think that we've ever had a player like Connor of his stardom, of his ability of his legendary status yep. really and of his age more than anything else really kind of grabbed the battle flag for the union. And I, and I, and in last night was a reminder that if he wanted to, he could be that guy. Now we had Dave Jackson, former NHL referee and our friend from ESPN on the drop. We just recorded it mm-hmm. for tomorrow's podcast. 
And he made a really good point about the length of time it took to figure out what happened on this play. And that is, you have never heard a single person who benefited from a review complain about the length of time that it took to get the review correct. And he is absolutely <laughs> right. No one cares if it comes yeah. out in your favor. Um, I don't think we have the technology to properly evaluate what happens on an offside play. I, I just don't. Um, I know that they've, there have been some talk about remedies. Jackson talked about the idea of there being that small line that you put on the ice on, inside the zone to better understand where a player is vis-a-vis -vis the line. I don't think we need to put any more lines on the ice. Um, I think what we need to do is come together as a hockey community and decide whether we want to be more like Jeff Merrick, who believes that hockey is a series of human errors. And the more human error you have, the better it is for the sport. And we'll accept the fact yes. that there are going to be bad calls on offsides. Or I like this we have to guy. decide whether the genie is out of the bottle and it is absolutely impossible to put the genie back in the bottle and that it will be our human nature as fans, even if we think offside should not be reviewable anymore, it's in our nature as fans to see a play at a critical moment in the playoffs, a blown call, a goal scored, and then yeah. scream about the fact that Gary Bettman decided we shouldn't review these anymore or some such. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, I think I think the bottom line is yeah. that you and I both know that, that these goals should count. It should be human error. The Matthew Shane thing was dumb. Yep. It was an overreaction to it. Yep. But I don't know if we can go back. See, I, I kind of think that we can. But the, the, the thing is, and that's why I wanted to play the Connor McDavid clip specifically. Because you look at the history of this game, like blow it out, go big picture. We don't have superstars commenting no. negatively on aspects of the game. Now, we've had Mario, Mario Lemieux grouse <laughs> about, you know, getting yes. hooked and slashed. And, like, we have had that. Okay, granted. That was personal. Um, that was, per that was not the betterment of the game. That, that was personal. No. That was like, you know, my body's going to break down. I'm going to lose a limb, like, unless we stop all of this. <laughs> um, you know, Wayne, Wayne Gretzky, you know, called the New Jersey Devils Mickey Mouse because they left his hey. buddy Ron Lowe in a game for too long, and he got, you know, he got uh, Christmas treed by the Edmonton Oilers, and he didn't like that. But, you know, Gretzky never went after the game itself, right? Mario, I know, came close, but never really went after the game itself. Like, this is as close as we're seeing a player to going after the game. Because I agree with you about McDavid. Like, if, if McDavid wants it, he could have the most powerful voice for change in the NHL. And Absolutely. maybe this just becomes his, his stump speech here, and it's about this offside. But the point that I've always tried to make, and people have shrugged this off, I'm going to try this one with you. If we're so interested in getting the call right for these goals... Why do we not do, and again, I know people are like, oh, here we go with the offside. But if you're going to do one, do you not have to do the other? Why don't we do the same for dump-ins behind center? You mean like for icing calls? Correct. If it's, because eh, that, that one, the dump-ins we look at the same way we used to look at offsides. 
We used to look at offsides and say, ah, you know what, close enough. And the more officials you talk to, like, it's funny too, I've always sort of equated this to, to cops. And, you know, police officers don't agree with every law they have to enforce. I'm sure there are plenty of police officers that are like, ugh, I hate to do this because I really don't like this law, but I have to, it's my job. Like I've talked to a number of referees, maybe this is a conversation for Dave Jackson at ESPN, you know, what rules do you not like? But there are a lot of officials that look at the offside and the challenge and will say to themselves, I really hate this because the offside, like in spirit for so long was just as long as it's close enough, it's okay. And we were all cool with that. Like yeah. every now and then you complain and grouse a little bit about like, I don't know. And a guy, did he drag his foot? Did he not? Is he, but it, we, we were all sort of cool with the close enough. And that's how we treat dumpins right now. Eh, close enough. We're not going to call icing. You know, you, you watch the, if you watch the lines, are they going to call? No, nah, it's close enough. We're not going to call it icing. But if we're going to go pixel by pixel by pixel on offside reviews, then philosophically, don't we have to do the same with dump-ins? See, I like it the other way. I like close enough at center, and I like close enough at the blue line. There's three three close enough calls in the NHL. It's the dump-ins, it's the offside calls, unless they're reviewed, and it's uh, line changes and, and too many men penalties. Like that's also close enough. That's also in unless it's egregious, unless unless you could take out your telestrator and and write the little numbers next to the players, <laughs> <laughs> then it's close Always enough. My favorite. <laughs> yeah, that is that is that Ed, is Ed, an old dream Ed, screen capture. Oh yeah, Eddie Olchek. Eddie Olchek. <laughs> I think that's like his outside of horse racing. It's his favorite hobby. Look at here, Doc. One, two, three, four, five, six. Count. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> But no, no, I think your point's taken. And and the other thing about dump-ins, <laughs> the other thing about dump-ins, and, and this goes back to the offside thing, uh, is that if you if you if it is if it should have been an icing, how much happens after that puck is collected in the attacking zone before the goal is scored, yeah. in which the aggrieved team had a chance to remedy it, uh, to to clear the puck to get a save, to freeze mm-hmm. it, all of that stuff. It, and that's the that's the tricky thing about this off the, uh, offside thing, too. I think you and I have talked about in the past the idea of, like, does it really matter what happens on the zone entry if a goal is scored 40 seconds later, if you had 40 seconds of time as a defending yes. team to, to clear the zone? Um, but where that gets really interesting now is what the NHL decided to do a few years ago. And again... It's always these gigantic uh, screw-ups that lead to these rule changes, whether it's Matt Duchesne being a country mile offside leading to offside reviews or all the stuff the St. Louis Blues dealt with in their playoff run that led to the video reviews of, of, of plays that should have been whistled down for high sticks or pucks in the netting. Because in those cases, it's kind of the same thing where if a puck is hit and, and play should have been stopped, um, you know, the play could continue for like 40 seconds and then and then they have a chance to clear the zone, but they don't. And those are tough. Like on the offside one, I've always said it's dumb. Like if you've got enough time, like we should put a, a, a counter yeah. on it where if it's above 30 seconds, then who cares? But at the same time, though, like I don't know if we'd ever do that for the other thing. I don't know if, if a puck hits the netting and we don't notice and then a goal is scored 40 seconds later. I don't know how many of us would be like, 
yeah, it's a good goal. Like, no, the puck was basically in the stands and they kept playing. Like, it feels different <laughs> than the offside, doesn't it? Uh, it, it does. Let, let me ask you, let me rewind here, because we were talking about Eddie Olchek and the Telestrator and counting guys on the ice. And look, Doc, it's seven, seven guys. Like, I, I love it. I honestly... It's it, it's a it's predictable, but I, you know it's coming, and so and it's a great visual, and it, it it's oh, listen, yeah. you understand like the it's a it's a simple one for viewers to grasp. You know what my favorite moments have become, What's and that? I liked it from the beginning, and now I just find it flat out hilarious when the puck goes over the glass, <laughs> the other team points at it, <laughs> like thanks. Uh, really? You know, <laughs> like, I'm just imagining every other fish, like, wow, thanks for the help. Oh, is that, wow, the puck just vanished. Where could it have gone? Oh, thank you, third-pairing defenseman, for pointing at the fact that it's, it's, it's like, because everybody but, does it. But that's Fans the, so do that's, it. The players do it. The coach will do it. It's, honestly, Greg, I laugh so much. It's by myself. It's, I'm watching the games. Just me and my dog, and I'm laughing. And my dog looks at me like, what do you, what's your problem? Look, it's one of two things. It's either hearkening back to their days playing in rickety rinks, where, where that you do have to, no, there's not refs. You know, you're just pointing and like that did go out. It's like hearkening back to that, or it's a bunch of guys that have, have have watched too much NFL football, where that's the most pointing you're ever going to see in a professional sports game. Is is you know on a no. on a on a on an off on an offside or on a, a false start. It's just become a league of pointing. Like anytime an offensive lineman blinks. <laughs> You have the guys on the defensive side of the ball. They're all pointing at him because they know if enough guys point yeah. at him, the referee will throw a flag. So maybe yeah. that's it too. It's like they want to make sure that if they all point yeah. at the puck that is now in somebody's popcorn bucket, <laughs> that the referee will know that he needs yeah. to blow it down. I will. Ne- I will never not enjoy or favorite on Twitter pictures of players pointing at pucks that have just left the surface. <laughs> Forever, I will always laugh at those, man. The funniest things. Um, I want to talk to you about the Cutter Goche, Jamie Drysdale trade. Please. It's our first chance to have a conversation about this. Yeah. But I want to initially focus on it from the Drysdale point of view. So I was thinking about this last night. because It's one thing, because I think we're all waiting for, at some point, Cutter Goche to say something about what happened from his point of view. Because we've heard Daniel Briere, we've heard Keith Jones, we've heard certain Flyers fans, like we've heard a lot of people from from from, uh, from the Flyers the point of view. Of, the CEO the of the orbit. team saying the CEO of the team basically saying that uh, Cutter Gauthier should be treated like John Tavares when he returns to Long Island. Uh, yeah, we've had that too. We've had a few of those guys speak up. <laughs> Even even without that comment, he will be because Flyers fans have, have long memories, and you know that. Um, but I can't help but thinking because first of all, Jamie Drysdale was shocked that this trade happened. He this one caught him out of left field. He did not know this was coming, and the next thing you know, you know he's getting on a plane to go to Philadelphia on on Tuesday morning. Um, and we'll see him tonight playing against the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, one of three games on the board around the NHL on this Wednesday evening. Um, I can't help but thinking, you know, forever, Jamie Drysdale is going to be certainly attached to this trade, but he's not going to be the talking point of this trade. How much time have you spent thinking about 
what Jamie Drysdale must be going through here. From from one point of view, he's gone from being a key piece of the Anaheim Ducks future, which features, you know, your Carlsons and your McTavishes and your Pavel Minchikovs and your uh, you know, take a take your pick. Um, Olin Zellwiggers. Like it's a good young team that's coming for the for the Anaheim Ducks. Notice I left out Trevor Zegris's name there. We'll pick that conversation up in a second. Have you thought much about what it must be like to have been Jamie Drysdale in the last forty eight hours? I I have, but but not for the reasons you just spoke about. I, I have in the sense of you're a, a dynamic puck moving defenseman who no doubt has to probably hone the defensive side of his game and you're going to be playing for John Tortorella. And that, that was the most thought mm-hmm. I gave to Jamie Drysdale is like, he's going to emerge from this thing, either a really great, well-rounded player. Like a lot of players who have played for torts said they ended up being because of his tough, tough love, or he's going to be, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Like he's going to, he's going to just break because, mm-hmm. you know, torts is going to healthy scratch him on, on March 15th. And, and then you're going to have to pick yourself up and get back out there. So I've I thought about his development. He, I mean, he, he's been in the league now for four mm-hmm. seasons. I mean, it's a, he's not a kid anymore, but, it, but he definitely has some room to oh, grow. He didn't play two years and, ago. He's been well, had the okay, hospital that's my second problem. point. That's my second point. Like, if you're Jamie Drysdale and this caught you by surprise, maybe you needed to have a better understanding of the reality of your surroundings. Um, the Anaheim Ducks are dealing from a position of strength. They are one of the deepest teams. Maybe the Devils would be in that conversation with Hughes and Nemich, but like they're one of the deepest teams in the league as far as prospect pipeline on their blue line. Yep. And and Jamie Drysdale not only oh, yeah. has only played 18 games in the last two seasons, he also had a contract negotiation that nearly bumped into the opening night of the season. So, And you're doing mm-hmm. that with a GM that didn't draft you, by the way. So if, if if this caught him by surprise, it only caught him by surprise because he fancied himself part of the core. When in actuality, he was being evaluated by Pat Rabique, who I who I had identified the core and said to himself, this core needs more goals. And the only way I'm going to get more goals potentially is to trade somebody. And the person I'm going to trade is the guy who is coming from a position of strength. It's It's very much maybe not understanding the reality of his surroundings. The, the the not drafted by Verbeek is interesting because I do wonder, as we've all speculated and wondered about since Pat Verbeek took over, and you wonder, you know, who's a Pat Verbeek hockey player? Just like you look at John Tortorella, who's going to be successful um, with John Tortorella? I think a lot of people are wondering, and rightfully so, about the future of Trevor Zegras in Anaheim. Are you one of those people? Um. Yes and no. Like I, I think I think a lot of this conversation starts coming up because probably Zegers's name has come up in conversations regarding Verbeek, uh, which in, in covering the rumor mill for as long as I have, it doesn't necessarily mean it's Verbeek bringing it up. It means it's come up in conversation, which is an important distinction to remember. Mm-hmm. If Verbeek's coming to you and, and, and saying, I want to do business, Chances are you're probably going to ask about Trevor Zegers. Um, I, I, I don't know is the, is the answer. I, I think I think that he obviously, with the addition of Gautier, has himself a good collection of young forwards with McTavish there and obviously with Carlson there. Where does Zegers fit in? It it's probably isn't a secret, uh, or, or not a secret, but a coincidence that this starts happening when Zegers, you know, comes back to the lineup and has seven points in 20 games and hasn't been all that 
great this year at all. Um, so mm-hmm. h- how much of it is teams asking about him? How much of it is let's get the word out about his availability because then maybe he's better than seven points in 20 games for us? I don't know, but uh, I still think he's probably part of the solution going forward for the Ducks, but it probably doesn't hurt to have his name on the rumor boards at this point. Let, let me ask you something I asked Haley. Oh, actually, no, let me, because uh, I didn't ask you from the Cutter, Cutter Goche point of view. What did you make of the entire saga here? Like, th- this this soap opera is still not done yet. Like, we still haven't heard from Cutter Goche. Cutter Goche hasn't skated a game in the NHL yet, let alone skate a game at Wells Fargo yet. Uh, what did you make of all of this? I mean, I don't think we'll hear from him until after the college season. And if that, I mean, I don't think we, we might not hear anything yeah. about the situation until he's wearing a duck sweater. Um, you know, the, I, I thought of two things. I thought, one, it was really interesting to hear Danny Briere talk about the situation in the sense of it seemed like the Flyers, even though he said after Worlds that he was done with them, had a lot of hope that he'd change his mind again. Like, you change your mind once, maybe you can change it again. And maybe that was foolhardy, but I, I thought their approach was really interesting. Liter- literally thanking teams for keeping this on the down low because they were hoping that they could have one last conversation with Gautier and that they could convince him to be a flyer. Yeah. And I don't remember that kind of situation playing out like this before. The second thing is that it's another example of, of Mario the era. Mario. Well, yeah. Hang on. Mar- yeah, Mar- sure. Mar- Mario. Mar- Mario wasn't going to play with the Penguins and then in, in, Mario in, played I, with I, the I Penguins. Mean, like recent years, recent years. I mean, like it wasn't, it wasn't okay. as if Adam Fox strung along anybody, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, in, in the he way told that, them. that, uh, that Gauthier did. The, uh, the other thing, too, is that I think this fits snugly into the era of player empowerment that we're in. You know, not only what we've seen other NCAA players do with the leverage they have in dictating their future in the NHL, but also, you know, this is a pretty bold move for a kid. Like, he's not dumb. He's a smart kid. He grew up in, 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 in uh, Pennsylvania. He understands the dynamic of trying to piss off the entirety of the city of Philadelphia. So to do that mm-hmm. uh, knowingly, and, and to try to dictate terms and, and try to have some, uh, you know, control over your future in the NHL is a pretty impressive thing. And I know there's a lot of hockey fans that don't like the idea of uh, the players having this kind of sway. Uh, whenever it comes up, you start to hear, let's not turn this into the NBA. Dude, do you understand how many years it will take before the uh, scale is balanced between player empowerment and being absolutely controlled by the owners in this league. Like, the owners have a century head start <laughs> on the players. So now that we're yeah. seeing a little bit of flex yeah. with these guys, I think it's it's really encouraging, and I'd like to see more of it. Uh, okay, so that story will continue very much. Let me ask you about the league right now and teams in the league. Um, you know, I, I can't recall... You know, last year was the Boston Bruins just because they had such an incredible regular season. Like we talked about the 70s Habs. Um, But if you look at, you know, the president's race, normally teams want to stay away from that. It has become the curse. Ask Tampa uh, what that's like specifically. But this is a great race for the president's trophy. Uh, And right now on top are the Winnipeg Jets, followed by the Vancouver Canucks, one point shy of the Winnipeg Jets. And then the Boston Bruins, uh, the Colorado Avalanche, the New York Rangers, and then we'll make the cut line, the Florida Panthers. So four points separating six teams for the President's Trophy. 
Of those six, which one impresses you the most? Vancouver. And and, and I say that with More deference than to how Yeah, I say that with deference to how good Winnipeg is um and how great they are defensively. And and by the way, like shout out to the analytics community, which knew this was going to happen. <laughs> like 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 everyone I talked to in that community like a month ago <laughs> was like the team you need yeah. to watch are the Jets. And we're like, why? And they're like, because they are an elite defensive team in front of maybe the best goalie in the world. And we're like, fine. And then like a month later, they're leading the league in points. <laughs> and everybody's like, how could we have ever guessed this? And I'm like, yeah. talk to the Smarties. Um, I think I think Vancouver, top to bottom, is great. I think they have a goalie that can match up well with, with what Winnipeg can give you. Um, I think they have a defenseman that is better than anything on the Jets. And I also think that their high-end skill players are as good or anything or better than any, anything on the Jets. The Jets might have more cohesion. They might be playing better as a team overall right now. But if you're talking about the playoffs and you're talking about those moments in which you need a star player to make a star play, I'll, I'll cast my lot with the Vancouver Canucks. Now, as I've been saying all season, for all the greatness of the Vancouver Canucks for as much as they've accomplished for as many guys might be up for individual awards and have put up sterling stats there's only a few numbers i care about and the number the number actually one number i care about at this point Merrick and the number is 41 41 is the number of games that JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes and Brock Besser have played the other number i care about is mm-hmm. uh 29 that's the number of games that Thatcher Demko has played the fact that this team which has been really, really humbled by injuries in past seasons, especially to Besser, has been able to stay healthy for this long. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where that's why they are where they are. If this team suffers significant manpower losses to their core, then, you know, give me Winnipeg. But as long as Vancouver's healthy, I'll take Vancouver. Okay, let me let me uh, begin to close here on, on another Vancouver Canucks question. And I keep going back and forth on this one. There is... No hockey Twitter like Vancouver Canucks hockey oh, Twitter. Oh, shoot. We're going to do this. <laughs> is, hang on. I'm, just, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm just going to ask you one word answer. All right. All right. Is Vancouver, is Vancouver hockey Twitter better when Vancouver is good or bad? Oh, that's a great question. I had a really good conversation once with a guy named Dan Steinberg, who uh, is a writer at the Washington Post, about whether business is better when the Washington football team is good or bad. And he was his contention was always when Washington is good, it's better for business. And then Washington became a mess. And then he, he I remember him emailing me one day and being like, no, you were right. <laughs> it's much better when they're bad. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, I, I think for now, I think for now it's good because th- they've been waiting so long to be this enthusiastic. And, and I, I, I said on another radio show this week that, that they should maybe not be as cocky as uh, as they've been the fans because like this is how you ended up getting the entirety of the sports world rooting for a team from Boston against Vancouver which do you know how hard it is to get people to root for a team from Boston against your team um mm, fair but but uh, you know i i think right now for business sake the enthusiasm is great um ultimately from an entertainment standpoint yeah sure the the the, the hand wringing and and fretting of of the mismanagement of the team has made for great copy over the years. Um, but I don't know. It's It's been fun to see it. And again, like I said, this 
this could happen have happened in another year they just had bad luck with with injuries they had bad luck with player acquisitions mm-hmm. i don't know it's it's just good to see it's fun to see it's fun dude it's fun to see teams that have been mid or teams that have been struggling have their moment it's fun to see. i mean remember the beginning of the season we were talking about the yeah. jets attendance like the jets attendance was getting as much notoriety as them re-signing Shifley and Hellebuck. And now it's like they're a plus yep. 43 goal differential and leading the league. Like, that's great to see. That market's going to be great for it. So I'm happy I'm happy yep. when teams do well. Uh, and speaking of which, close on this one. Florida Panthers. Uh, the best unreported story in the NHL, as far as teams go, true or false. They won again last night. That's eight in a row. I mean... Un- unreported because they went to the cup final last year though, Merrick. Like it's like, you know, it, until they they're, they're in that position yeah, of like, but- call me, call, call me when the playoffs start is where there is the position they're in right now. Like they're going to be great. There's a chance. I think there's a chance they can win the president's trophy, but, but it doesn't matter until you I get agree. to the playoffs and do it. Now what's the, the, the thing about them uh, up until last night was to be that good uh, and only have Matthew Kachuk with eight goals was, Remar- like if you told me the Panthers were the where they were, yeah. and Chuck hadn't done anything as far as goal scoring, I'd be like, "You're nuts." But what's the 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 biggest thing about them? And if you're talking about underreported stuff, this is the thing: they're like fourth in the league in team defense. Like they they made the Cup final yeah. last year, and they were fifteenth in the regular season or something in in goals against average. They're a top four team defensively. I don't know what kind of buy in. Paul Maurice has gotten from them, or maybe it's just like better goaltending. I don't know what it is, but like they're fourth, like around fourth in the league in goals against. And I would not have thought that for the Florida Panthers. Vancouver Canucks fans, cover your ears. Oliver Ekman Larson. That's the is difference. that what it is? Craig, <laughs> it's the that's OEL the, effect. That's the, only, it's the only thing I can see. <laughs> yeah, that's all it is. All right. <laughs> All right, uh, on that we'll wrap. Uh, Great stuff as always, my man. Uh, You be well. Uh, Best to you and all your colleagues at ESPN, and we will chat in seven days. Thanks, bud. Thanks, everybody.